in this series called Prescription Church. And, and in Prescription Church, what's going on is we're going from this place of when we said the pastor is dead now, we have independence in our faith, right? We take ownership of our faith. Uh, we pray throughout the week. We're accountable with each other. Um, we, we read scripture, we live holy lives. Uh, and that was the pastor is dead now. And, and prescription church is about going from this spot of independence in our faith to now being interdependent in our faith, uh, and coming together as the church. And what does that look like? And why do we need to be coming together as the church? And we've been looking at this passage in, uh, Hebrews 10, Right, Hebrews ten, ten twenty four, and it says, "Let us not, let it, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching." Uh, so this word habit. Uh, that we have here, it, it means a prescription. And so what was going on was that some people in the church were prescribing for themselves that they don't need to meet together anymore. Uh, and, and so we're looking at what do we prescribe for ourselves and what does God prescribe for us and how do these differ and why does God prescribe uh, these things for us to continue meeting together? And, and what does it mean and, and why would God want us to do that? So last week we looked at uh, the idea of giving. And, and we came to this conclusion that God wants us to give and giving and money, money is a spiritual matter. And the church is just waiting for the disobedient to, to start being obedient. And how much more we could do if all of us uh, gave in obedience and what that would look like for the church. Uh, this week we're looking at, at worship. And, and what does it mean for us to worship? What is this idea of worship through the Bible? Uh, what does it look like for us to worship? And why would we worship? And why would God prescribe for us to worship in the church? So I came up with a couple images of our prescriptions for worship, or maybe at least my own. And uh, here, go to that first one. It says the heart of worship. All right, so prescription for worship, right? Our hands raised, and it seems to always be in front of some really cool sunset or sunrise because that's what worship looks like. And uh, I think the irony is that, you know, how we get these really cool sunsets in Southern California, and a lot of it is because of all of the smog and pollution that we have here. So that's worship, right? Raising our hands up in front of a cool view. All right, the next one. Okay, again, we have hands raised. A little backstory on this image. This is, uh, if you can see it, it's students who have their hands raised, and when I was in the high school, we had this event called The Answer, and it was all the Christian clubs got together uh, and, and put together this event, and it, the whole idea was that students would bring their non-Christian friends to, uh, to hear the word. And so we had, like, we had bands and, and barbecue and all of this, and we closed it out with worship and uh, a message. So this is hands raised, right? All these students raised up. If you go to the next image... Justin. All right, so they all have their hands raised up because that's a t-shirt that was flying and they were giving away free t-shirts and having raffles and giving away all these things. Um, so hands raised, again, worship, right? The next one. Okay, this is my favorite one. Chris Tomlin. Uh, I don't think Chris Tomlin is bad. I like Chris Tomlin. He writes great songs um, and is a great worship leader. But this is what I think of when I, when I see Chris Tomlin. Um, I think of those times when it's, it's a weekend and I'm, I, you know, I don't have classes, and so Saturday, I might be working really hard, or I might be going and going to the beach or something and not doing any work at all. And then you get to Sunday morning, 
and you see all of this homework I have to do, and then you know Monday morning I have to go to class, and then you think, oh, maybe I should go to church today. And you think, oh, I got so much to do. I know, I'm just going to write my prescription here and uh, go and listen to Chris Tomlin for half an hour while I eat breakfast, and that'll be my, my worship instead of going to church. And so we have these things that we prescribe for ourselves instead of what God wants. Uh, we have our prescriptions for worship. Uh, I wanted to look at, at four different elements of worship that, that we see in Scripture. Uh, it's not everything by any means at all, but it, the four things that we see in Scripture about worship. And maybe through this, we could just discover what is worship and why would God ever want us to do that. So the first thing, uh, number one we have here, worship is a matter of submission. If we look at, at Genesis, Genesis 22, there's a story, and it's, it's called the Binding of Isaac, right? Genesis 22, it's going on as God is calling Isaac, or God, God is calling Abraham to take his son Isaac and give him as a burnt offering. Genesis 22, verse 2, it, it says, Then God said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Right? Sacrifice your son. No big deal. This was the son that God had promised Abraham. Uh, and, and so Abraham goes through all this. God promises. Finally, he has this son. And then not too long, uh, not too long after, God says, go sacrifice your son, uh, the one I promised. It goes on, and uh, this is what we have in verse 5. It's Abraham and Isaac and his servants. And uh, verse 5, it says, He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. So Abraham says, We will worship, and then we come back to you. Um, I looked at this word for worship. I took a year of Hebrew this last year, and it was really cool uh, to see this language and, and what it really is and, and how it works. So this word here for worship it's easy to think, oh, worship here is talking about sacrifice. Uh, but this word here for worship means to bow down or to, to lay one's face on the ground in front of another out of submission, out of humility. Uh, so when Abraham says, we will worship, he's saying we will go and submit ourselves to God. And, and it's, it's the idea of bowing down. And specifically, this this verb right here, it's called a reflexive verb. And what that means is that it's action you take on yourself. Uh, to, and it's action you take on yourself. So not just bowing down, but I will bow myself down before the Lord. So Abraham says, we are going up to bow ourselves down before the Lord, to humble ourselves before the Lord, to submit to whatever his will is for us, whether that's offering my son, the one that was promised to me, as an offering to God or not, whatever I will do, it's this idea of obedience in everything we do. So worship, it's a matter of, sac it's a matter of, of sorry, not sacrifice, it's a matter of obedience and submission, and, and through that, Abraham worships by obeying and submitting to God. Uh, the second thing we see about worship, uh, worship is a matter of sacrificial living. In Romans 12, uh, Paul says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. 
So worship, worship is about service. It's about sacrifice. Uh, when, we, when we offer our bodies as living sacrifices, Paul says this is what worship is, to surrender our lives. It's about this idea of giving everything to God and offering, offering our lives. And it's, um, when, when we say, you know, we offer our lives, it's, it's everything, right? Not just, I offer my hand, I offer my foot, I offer whatever to God. It's everything we have, we offer to God. And when we offer everything to God as a living sacrifice, it says that is what worship is. Uh, the third thing I think we see is that uh, worsh- to worship is to live a spirit-filled life. If we look back in Romans a little bit, uh, Paul, Paul is constantly using this comparison between uh, life in the spirit versus life in sin, right? And he says, the life of sin is death, and that's the life of the body. It, 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 it comes out to be death. And then he says, but if we have life in the spirit, we have life. And so it's always, it's death versus life, and life versus death. And we see in in Romans 8, this is what Paul says. He says, those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. So again, sin, death. Uh, You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the spirit, if the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. So again, uh, sin, death, body, death, spirit is life. Uh, And here it is in verse 10, it says, But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. So what Paul is saying is that sin is death, right? The body is death. But if you have the spirit, you have life. And when you have the spirit, you have life. And just as the spirit of God raised Christ from the dead, he also raises your bodies from the dead. So when you're filled with the spirit, your bodies are living. So if you turn back to Romans 12, right? Paul says, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. What he's talking about is living sacrifices, as sacrifices that uh, when our bodies are filled with the Spirit, we are then living sacrifices. So Paul is saying we need to be living Spirit-filled lives. And when we have Spirit-filled lives, uh, and when we offer these to God, that is what worship is. It's, it's worship by the Spirit. It's the, worship, the worshipful life uh, is nothing less than this spirit-filled life when we live everything and give everything as this life that is, that is filled with the spirit and, and we're controlled uh, and we're given life by the spirit. The fourth thing that we see, uh, the spirit-filled life, the life of worship is manifested through our actions and our interactions. So, we, we keep saying, right, worship is humility, worship is submission, it's giving everything to God. Uh, but frankly, none of us live in this box where all we do is sit there and kneel down before God and not do anything else, right? We have jobs, we have uh, families, we, we, you might go to church on a Sunday morning and then uh, you might go have lunch with someone or, or whatever. We go out through our days and do things. Uh, we have activities. And so what I think what, what we see in this idea of worship is not 
not simply uh, humbling ourselves and sitting there, but we humble ourselves as we go on throughout our days. So if our, if our act of worship is to offer our bodies as spirit-filled sacrifices, then everything we do must be worshipful. Uh, Paul says in Colossians, he says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do all in the name of Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So everything, everything we do is this idea of, of sacrifice, of the spirit-filled life. Uh, this verse in, in Romans, right? Romans 12. It's the beginning of what's called the perinesis. And so in every Greco-Roman letter, what goes on is you have like the introduction where he says, this is me, Paul speaking, and then you have uh, who it's to, so Paul says to the Romans, and then you have the main argument of the letter, and then you have the perinesis. And what the perinesis is, it's moral instruction on how to live. It's exhortation. It's Paul saying, this is, right, this is what I said in the argument, now this is what it means for us to live. And the perinesis here is started by this verse in verse 12, in, in chapter 12, it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So if this is the beginning of the moral instruction, what Paul is saying is, this is what I said, right? This was my argument. And then, therefore, in light of that, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Now what he's going to say is, these are all the ways that we do this in our lives. So verse 12 is this introduction and, and says, this is what you need to do. And then uh, and the rest of chapter 12 and 13 and 14 are all going to be about what does that look like for us to do that as Christians? What does it mean for us to be living sacrifices? What does it mean for us to be holy and pleasing to God? And how does that equal worship in our lives? And Paul will go on and he'll say uh, later in verse 12, he says, for by the grace given me, by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves uh, with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. So what he's saying here is that uh, when we live our lives, we need to be living our lives in ways that show who God has created us, and we need to be these people that God has created us. He'll say later, uh, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Again, it's these things that we need to do as Christians. What does it mean to live that holy life? It's love. It's hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another. He says, do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. And, and then later he says, uh, he says this about love. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. When the Spirit fills our lives, every aspect of our lives, uh, when the Spirit fills our lives, every aspect of our lives must be filled with the Spirit. And what happens is we start to live these worshipful lives. The ways we go about our lives, every action that we take, begins to become actions of worship if we're filled with the Spirit. I was, uh, I was at this memorial service a couple days ago, and uh, it, it wasn't for someone I knew, um, but it was for someone whose family um, I'm really close to. And 
the thing that kept coming up in this memorial service as friends and family were sharing about who this man was, they kept saying that he was, he was a simple man who was a humble man who did nothing through his life but serve God and serve others. And his, his whole life was all about living for God and loving God and loving those around him and giving up everything that he had for the sake of others. And as I was sitting there and listening to, to what everyone had to say, what I started to realize with, was that this man's life was a life of worship. And everything that he did, everything that, that he did throughout his life was worship because when he passed and everyone had this opportunity to share about him, everything that they could say, anything that they could say, was that he was humble and he served God and he served others. It was this idea of, of humility, of servanthood, this idea that, that he gave himself and he bowed down before others and he bowed down before God in everything that he did. And I started to realize that, that worship, it's something we do, right? It's, Paul says, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. This is what worship is. And then he gives us ways that we fulfill this through what we do in our lives. Um, this man... This man's life was a life of worship because everything he did was worship. But worship is just something we do. It's, it's a human act. But what I realized as I was sitting here in this service was that because this man lived a life of worship, because he acted out worship, because everything that came out of him was worship, he encountered God through his actions. And this service the service, you could just feel the presence of God in the service because his life was so much about worship that even at his service, everything was about worship. And you could feel the presence of God. And I really think that when we worship, when we worship, we start to encounter God. And yes, it's, worship is something we do. We bow ourselves down, but we do it all for the sake of meeting God and encountering God in some way. There's this, this story in Isaiah, and it's in Isaiah 6. Um, and it's kind of at the beginning of, of Isaiah's ministry as a prophet. And he has, this vis- he has this vision, and this is what it says. Isaiah says, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with two wings. With two wings they covered their faces with... Uh, With two, they covered their feet, and with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. It says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. So we see this, this image of worship. It's this image of saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. You are set apart. You are almighty. The whole earth is full of your glory. This idea of humbling ourselves, of bowing down, of saying, God, you are great. God, you are superior, and I am so much less. I am nothing compared to you. And the doorposts and the thresholds shake, and the temple was filled with smoke. It's the presence of God, and it's what happens. Then Isaiah says this, Woe to me, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the king, the Lord Almighty. 
Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. He said, Go and tell this people. Isaiah says, Woe to me, I am ruined. He's worshiping because he's saying, I am nothing in light of who God is. He's humbling himself. He's placing himself underneath this God who is so great, who has created the universe. The earth is full of his glory. And Isaiah says, I am nothing. I am unclean. And my eyes have seen this incredible God who is so much more than I am. When we worship, we humble ourselves and we place ourselves beneath the almighty sovereign God. And we recognize God as the king and creator of the universe. And we praise God as the savior and redeemer of all. And we, when we worship, something happens and we're in this place where God can meet us and we can encounter God. And then he touches us and purifies us and sends us like he did with Isaiah. Worship is something we do, but ultimately it's all about this encounter with God. And that's why we sing on Sunday mornings. That's why we live these lives of worship, live these lives of of love with another, and live these lives where everything we do, we're pouring out the love of God. Because when we do that, I think we encounter God. And we have this whole book describing what happens when we encounter God. And it's, it, it's nothing but boring, but it's filled with these stories of love and compassion and salvation and wholeness and, and everything we could ever want. And we worship so that we might come, that he might come and, and we might encounter him and just have a glimpse of who this God is. 